0: Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. You're very welcome to another episode of the Scaling Your Business podcast. For this episode, Episode 188. Delighted to be joined by Patrick Woods, the co founder and CEO of Orbit. Patrick, you're very welcome to the show.
1: Thank you so much for having me on today. I'm really excited to get into the conversation and hopefully share some useful things with your audience.
0: Likewise, typical fashion of the show, Patrick. We go right back to the beginning. So I don't know where you grew up or what state you grew up in, but I do know that you studied uh, journalism at the University of Memphis. So you grew up close by. Take me back to where you grew up and what life was like growing up, and then we'll jump onto journalism in uni. <laughs>
1: um, yeah, growing up, boy, that's that's. Uh, I'm not sure I've gone back that far to the beginning in a podcast in, in a while, but yeah, I grew up in the Memphis, Tennessee area. Um, you know, was it was a band kid in high school, so played percussion sort of in middle school and high school. Was always involved with with music. Uh, my parents were both avid readers growing up, uh, always had, you know, bookshelves of books and, you know, always talking about who's reading which things. And I don't know, my mom still does crossword puzzles and play Scrabble to this day. But, you know, I, I think that that sort of love for for storytelling and language is what got me interested in, in sort of the path I went sort of at a university with regard to with, with journalism in particular. But, um, you know, the, at the University of Memphis and many schools, believe it or not, the the advertising program sits in the journalism and communications department versus like the business school, and so uh, for for me, um, I, I I kind of was interested in in storytelling and, and in marketing ideas, advertising, and didn't really know the the appropriate path to take. Um, so I started started university and uh, was actually started out in the, the marketing marketing um, department of the business school, um, and, and took a bunch of business courses uh, financial and managerial accounting, macro and microeconomics, uh, a lot of things that were pretty far removed from kind of the, the, the storytelling, uh, and, and, the kind of the create, the creative angle that I was really interested in, um, realized that the the more appropriate path was, was journalism slash advertising. So made my way over to that, that part of the, um, the, the university and kind of that's all she wrote. Um, so yeah, spent, spent many years learning about PR communications, advertising, uh, writing at scale uh, and a lot of, a lot of things that are I think pretty useful today with with orbit um, and and kind of like my role here as kind of like I don't know chief chief storyteller if you will um, but but around that time I guess sort of like the the the, the big idea at orbit is, is is all about the power of community both for the individuals in the community as well as for the businesses that operate those communities and at, at the university, uh, in, in Memphis, that's why I sort of got my first taste for the, the power of community. So, um, you know, after, after university, you know, I was working in an ad agency in Memphis, um, and started a few different programs to really, to bring people together. Mm. Um, some friends and I, uh, we started a, a, a group that was sort of like a hybrid, you know, networking event slash young professionals thing slash dating sort of thing is all sort of mashed up into one. And, Basically, the theory was there's was a lot of interesting young people in the city, uh, and there's not a really one single place for them to meet. And so, we started producing a series of events to to bring folks together um, for conversations. And over the course of a few years, we ended up running hundreds of events. Um, by the time we wound that program down, we were, you know, averaging a few hundred people per month at, at our event. And you know, we we sort of heard really cool stories about people finding jobs at this meetup and finding dates and starting businesses and starting nonprofits. And you know really it was just it was, our, our theory was that if we could create the context for people to have sort of a low barrier of entry to meeting others, then that would just produce all sorts of interesting second and third order effects down the road that we we couldn't predict. And so that was for me a, a, a blast. Um, learned a ton about community building from from that experience and and saw that when you create the the space for conversation and set the expectations appropriately, then, Cool things happen, and so when I think about my sort of career um, and and all this you know weird stuff I've done, that 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 series of events was it was called Undercurrent. Uh, Undercurrent for me was was a, a really important inflection point in my kind of personal and professional journey of of understanding how to harness groups of people um, and and really think with a sort of a give first mindset. So um, yeah, we're sort of covering a lot of ground here from from early days to sort of like more modern days, yeah. but. Yeah, when I think about my my trajectory, that that experience of of getting folks together was has been very meaningful as we've as we've built the business today. So happy to happy to drill into any of those specific points uh, that I might have glossed over there.
0: Yeah, slick. And I, I do want to jump into specifically the community building side of things. Um but before we get in that, I I I'd like to make our way there through some questions of lessons learned from, from previous roles. So I don't know if you touched on it in any of the kind of things you were suggesting and talking about for the last two or three minutes, but you spent almost seven years as, as, as an owner of your own business megaphone productions. And the reason why I picked one of these things that of your LinkedIn was, I know how difficult it is to start your own business. Um, you know, on your LinkedIn it reference, freelance uh, graphic and web design company megaphone Productions. So take me back to the early days and I picked the early days because, um, it's in, it's often interesting looking back uh, and easier looking back in hindsight of some of the things that you, uh, not embarrassed by, but like, I would have done that differently <laughs> if I knew now what I knew, if I know now what I knew then. You get what I'm trying to say? So what are some of the kind of, if you were to go back in time, what would you perhaps do do differently knowing what you know now?
1: Yeah, So so that, that that business was basically some a, a freelance sort of part time thing that I ran during undergrad and, and and grad school to you know pay the bills make ends meet. Um, context was was yeah a combination of you know web, web design print layout kind of advertising. I, like I said, my degree was in advertising, so it's the confluence of a lot of my skill sets. And um, yeah, I was I was one of probably many of us who kind of like learned web design early on just because it was interesting. Uh, I, I learned over time that I'm not a I'm not a designer like a capital D like the the you know real designers out there. But um, certainly learned to appreciate the, the the sort of the the tactics and the theory of design, uh, which was very helpful in my advertising career, as as you can imagine, um, sort of on the account strategy side of things. Um, I mean, lessons lessons learned from that time. Um, you know, there's, there's I, I'd have to think about it just a little bit. I, I think. Um, you know, focus, I probably should have, could have focused a bit more in terms of like the types of clients I worked with. Um, you know, given that it was part-time business, I didn't have a ton of capacity to spend on business development and things like that. And so uh, I think over the, t- over time I've experienced um, or kind of appreciate the value of, of, of focus in terms of like customer base, and like who we who I'm focused on. And uh, this is true at Orbit as it was then, which is, yeah. you know, are there similarities, commonalities in the types of folks we're going to market with it certainly helps focus your, marketing messages and your content and the, the even even pricing and packaging so you know at, at that time I was young didn't know what I was doing and sort of would take any business I could get uh, like like probably a lot of us starting out and so you know I think that probably led to some dilution in terms of like the overall portfolio because you know local local music business you know local church local uh, real estate agency you, know, you pick up a lot of odd jobs when you're doing freelance web development and this was you know what 20 years ago when you know nobody knew anything about web development and small business marketing so um yeah i think i probably would have spent a lot more time honing the positioning and the focus of of the customer base i would say
0: i like that lesson and it's it's a great one because you develop a name within that let's use the word community and you get more business as a result of that but if you're trying to pick up anything and everything that's coming to you you never really build a name for one specific niche so i do like that lesson um before we go to your current role and all around community building, the other role I wanted to touch on was some of the corporate roles. 2016 to 2018, you, you, you were in two different roles, Keen.io and figure eight. Both of them, you were director of customer success. So within those roles, specifically the corporate uh, side of things, what are some, perhaps some skills or behaviors that you improved in an environment like that, whether managing a team or um, some attitudes you may have shifted. Talk to me, big picture.
1: Yeah, so, so to, to take one step back from, from Keen and from figure eight, uh, I worked for several years at an, at an ad agency um, and that agency was sort of a uh, classic kind of like big ad agency with you know big accounts and doing TV ads and big campaigns and national things and things like that. Um, I actually at the agency started a new business unit to to work with startups specifically so I realized that at the agency you know we had big clients like I don't know Pfizer and FedEx and some huge huge accounts those logos look really great on a client list but the actual day-to-day work is always not always the most creative and and interesting just because they're you know big accounts and yet we had a a building full of the most creative um, you know artistic people you've ever met and they're spending their day working on what some might consider boring work uh at the same time um startups uh the the sort of memphis startup scene was kind of getting up and running and i I was spending a lot of time in various places and and startup communities and realized that startups are 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 really interesting and they're always bad at naming and branding and this this was a time frame you might remember there was like a two-year period where every startup was like had ly at the end of it like you know, dot ly was a thing, like you know, bit.ly startuply, everything was just like an LY and, and just like there's all these cyclical trends that happen in, in startup branding. And um, the theory was that if 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 I could connect the creatives from the agency with startups in need, we could you know do some pretty cool work together, help early stage companies excel accelerate their brand and then help our agency do more interesting work. So um I spun that up. We we, we did that for a couple of years, um, had some pretty fun successes. And that's actually how I met IO. So IO is one of my clients. We did some work with them on the brand side of things, and then <clears throat> when they raised their, I'm not, I can't recall their a, Series A or B. They said, "Look, we've got a bunch of customers, uh, but no one's overseeing their success. Would you be interested in coming over in house and kind of like running our running our customer success team?" And uh, for me, it was it was a compelling opportunity because agency world's fun because you work on a lot of different things. You see a lot of, of different types of businesses, but it's also kind of a bummer because you do all this great work. And then, you know, the company keeps on without you. And it's, it's certainly very, very mercenary work versus like getting in the trenches and like, you know, going, going, going for the long term with a, with a business. So um, I was, I was keen to, you know, to use a silly metaphor, silly turn of phrase to, to join the company. And um, yeah, the, the shift from, from sort of agency world to in-house, there's, there's lots of lessons learned. I mean, um, you know, I, I went from uh, in an agency, you, you sort of lead by influence. so I was like an a, account director, strategy person. And so I worked with, I don't know 15 or 20 creatives, but none of them reported to me directly. They all reported to the creative director. And so in agency world, you have to you, you know you, you get things done through influence versus like you know command and control, quote unquote, uh, which was a, which was a great lesson to bring into sort of a more corporate setting. Uh, because you often find yourself in a similar situation where you need to get work from lots of people who aren't in your direct, you know, reporting line. So I think, I think that type of, you know, sort of like almost like jazz improvisation when it comes to, to leadership proves pretty useful, um, coming into a, a company like he, and Kino's was, was, a great company. Like everybody was super kind and empathetic. So it wasn't, it wasn't that difficult of a transition, but I, I think, you know, bringing those perspectives in was, was quite helpful for me early on, um, just in terms of building credibility and relationships with, with other, other functional leaders.
0: So Orbit, your current business, you'll do a much better job at, let's say, 30-second commercial or the elevator pitch than I will because it's your baby. So the mic is all yours.
1: So if you think about the, the way we, we buy things today, like as consumers, um, you know, I, I just bought a new bag for some international travel. And in the process of, of, of purchasing that bag, what did I do? i I looked for reviews. I went to Reddit, of course, the source of all consumer knowledge, read all the sort of teardowns of various bags. I watched the videos. Uh, I, I I wanted to understand the conversation in the category before I made a decision. I wanted to educate myself on the landscape before ultimately making a purchase decision. Um, it turns out this this way of purchasing is also true today in in software world. So there was an old old the you know, sort of the old days was, a salesperson would call you. You know, you're you're the CIO, you're the CTO. The sales rep would call you, take you to a steak dinner. You would make a purchase decision on behalf of your company, and then everybody in the company would use that software. Um, it, it turns out the way software is being bought and sold today it looks a lot more like that consumer research and adoption model as compared to the old school kind of like top-down sales approach. Okay, so so what does that mean for companies? Uh, for companies, it means that increasingly their community is is, is is a much bigger part of their overall strategy in terms of go-to-market, product feedback, brand awareness. Um, and yet for all of our customers, so Orbit has many thousands of, of customers, their community is spread off, spread across many places online. So it's a combination of Twitter plus a Discord server, mm-hmm. maybe a forum, Eventbrite, uh, other other sort of event tools, learning management platforms, um, social media. And so ultimately our, our customers all are trying to, to engage with and grow communities across a dozen plus channels. And so this makes it really difficult for the company to understand several things. First of all, like who, who are the champions? Who are the biggest advocates across all those channels? They're various, th- those data sources are all siloed. It also means the customer journey is very segmented. So the, the experience that I might have as one of your customers on Discord feels different than Twitter. It feels different than the events I go to. Um, and at the end of the day, it means the company spends a lot of time Trying to collate data from various sources um, because, again, the the, the reporting mechanism for those tools is like completely completely fragmented. And so, with Orbit, we make it really easy to integrate data from all those channels, such that you, as the as the user, can see a, a unified view, a single pane of glass, if you will, of a person's journey across all those channels. So you can see, for example, somebody you know last week somebody followed you on Twitter and then the next day came to your Discord server and asked some questions about the product and then the next day actually created a trial account of your software and then became really active in the product. And then on Thursday, came back to Discord and asked more questions and then they attended office hours. And so you can imagine that that sort of full 360 view of the customer journey unlocks all sorts of opportunity from a messaging standpoint, an engagement standpoint, tracking ROI. And so, you know, our our customers really think of us as a community growth platform, which means they can not only measure what's going on in the community, but take action to drive more conversations, engagement, event attendance, and ultimately revenue at the end of the day.
0: I imagine that marketers love this, not only from a identifying the champions, but from being able to uh, showcase the value of uh, certain areas of the business that one, a CEO perhaps, or, or a VP of sales might look at and go, that's not directly impact on revenue so let's get rid of it but the marketers can now say actually as a result of this it led to that which led to this and 62 percent of our monthly revenue this month came from that if we get rid of this podcast it's going to have a detrimental effect on our revenue eight weeks from now
1: that's exactly right We, we we have a lot of conversations with our customers around how how data from orbit brings brings visibility to to previously invisible customer journey touch points and yeah, you're 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 really you're really hitting the nail on the head here because it's it's easy as as executives or revenue leaders to 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 sort of look at the the sort of short term first order impact of things. It's like, oh, the podcast. Well, it's it's very expensive. It takes a lot of time. Why are we doing this? Why don't we just do more paid ads? You know, because we can see the conversion rate from those. Um, it's it's easy to be what I would consider short term greedy versus long term greedy. And the, the, the Orbit users, the data that's in Orbit really enables for them uh, the chance to have the conversation about these longer term, you know, second, third order effect um, points of impact and that they previously weren't able to have. So it, it's kind of gets to our overall vision, which is we, we, think, uh, we think Orbit can actually help our users not only capture more value for the company, but also create more value for their customers and community members, because for the first time they have the underlying data know that it's working so things like podcasts and meetups and events you know those things are hugely valuable to the to the community member and now with orbit it's it sort of closes the loop on the the ultimate value those provide to the company themselves so hopefully it's a win-win
0: i also imagine that depending on the size of the company uh it's better for the business to control the community or feel like the controlled community rather than people themselves because if you don't have a community and you're a, a big size company, talking plus one thousand people. Your users are going to generate a community for you or or, or, or about you in a, in a Discord channel or, or or a Reddit channel, and for you not to 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 be there again, could be massively detrimental to the business.
1: Yeah, I think that's I think that's right for our for our customers. They they appreciate the ability to facilitate those conversations and, and participate in them. I mean, ultimately, if people love your brand and your product, you know, people are going to have conversations all over the place about you. Um, but when we think about it, the the, the role of the community, the, the role of the company in those communities is really uh, to, to sort of advocate bi-directionally for, for both sides of the, of the equation, meaning they the, the community managers, the community advocates for the company can, can bring information from the company into the community and so talk about product things that are coming up, you know, changes to different plans, you know, and advocate for different use cases and make sure everybody's trained and knows how to use the tool most effectively. But it goes the other way as well. They're, they actually are the ones who can build those deep relationships with individuals in the community and then take those learnings back to the company and say, here's what we're hearing, you know, 10 out of 10 of our champions are saying this feature is broken or if we can build this. We would see churn go down because this is what we're hearing from from our users. And you know what we what we found is that the a healthy community that the company is participating in it really de-risks pretty much every other part of the business. It means that you can you can you, your marketing messaging and sort of like your copy can almost be tested in the community, such that when you scale them out to paid programs and big campaigns, you sort of know what's going to land because you've been talking to the community about it already. Uh, Or from a from a product standpoint, you can leverage the community to get that early feedback and and talk to your champions about different roadmap opportunities and how to prioritize things coming up and close the feedback loop. Um, when it comes to sales and like go to market things, a warm introduction from a community member is is so much more impactful than like an SDR sort of cold emailing someone trying to get, you know, on their calendar. So, you know, this this is where this is where the, the community ROI really comes into focus is that it really makes every part of the business much more efficient and easier. And so, yeah, that's, that's why our customers choose to really catalyze the community themselves versus kind of like letting it happen organically and hope it works out for the best.
0: One more question around the community side of things before we jump into one or two other areas. Um, is there a commonly held belief about the industry that you work in that you, let's say passionately disagree with?
1: Hmm. I, th- I think it- I think this this question would have been different just a number of months ago. Um, but I think the industry is 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 sort of coming around to to my 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 quote unquote beef uh, and I'll just talk you through what that looks like. So you know what we have found is that you know as as mentioned uh, the there are many outcomes of a thriving community um revenue is is part of it, and that that revenue could be in, in the form of introductions to 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 leads, it could be. Uh, accelerated a pipeline through community engagement. Um, A a number of our customers now talk about using, using Orbit to, to drive six figure deals, to find champions, to craft better outbound. Um, There was a, there was a cultural thing in the community world and specifically in developer relations, which is sort of like an area, we have tons of customers um, that was, was almost adverse to talking about revenue, almost uh, almost, Almost spiritually, if you will, that, that the community should be able to stand on its own, independent of revenue outcomes and business outcomes. The community is here um, to provide value for people, full stop. Um, but we've really seen in the in the past, really the past year or so, uh, that sentiment change a lot. And and I think maybe hopefully we've been part of that conversation to some extent. Um, but what we found is that you know sales is should not, sales should not be a four letter word to community builders, um, but the, the the context and the approach is very important. So what I mean by that is, um, if if I'm a community manager and I have a relationship with one of our one of our community members, uh, the last thing I want is an aggressive salesperson to come in and say, "Hello, I saw you in Discord. Uh, why don't you jump on a call? Let me tell you about our enterprise plan. I think you'd love it." You know, completely like arbitrarily aggressive. Yeah. Um, that's that's not great. Um, what a better version of that is through my conversations with that community member, I realized that based on what I'm hearing and how they've grown with us over the past year, they actually are ready to talk to a salesperson because if they were on that bigger plan, we could help them get to their goals faster and we could help them um, you know, prove ROI even more effectively and all, all these sort of things. Um, and so what we found is that the, the culture has shifted around the relationship between sales and community, but everyone has sort of matured, like salespeople are a lot more sophisticated now with how they go about this community leaders have tuned into the fact that they've got to have a revenue story to remain relevant. And So, you know, my I'm not sure I have a hot take anymore because I think we've helped sort of like bring the industry forward and have this conversation together about what's the most appropriate experience for every member of the community. And if the appropriate experience for a community member is an introduction to the sales team, great. If the appropriate experience for the community member is they need to get a sticker because they're awesome, that's great. And so really, it's about having a shared vocabulary and a shared sense of understanding about what that right experience is for 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 every sort of every person in the community. when we when we zoom out all the way, we, we think about this distinction between value capture and value creation, and that certain parts of the business, like like marketing and sales, they're thinking a lot about value capture. You know we've how do we how do we convert these folks into, into revenue? That's what they should be thinking about. Um, community managers, developer advocates, folks like that, events people maybe, um, they're often thinking about creating as much value as possible for, for the folks in the community. So that could be content. It could be programming. It could be events. It could be introductions, meetups, things like that. And so um, it's really helpful if, if business leaders have both of those concepts in mind, and then you can ask yourself for any given program or tactic or strategy, are we trying to create value for the community? or Are we trying to capture value for the company? And if everyone's clear on those intentions, it means we can be a lot more explicit with the, the, the programming itself, but also the way we measure success. So if we say, yeah, we're gonna, we're gonna host a series of office hours with the, with the explicit goal of like helping our users connect to other users so they can level up, that's a value creating activity. That's very different than saying, we're gonna do a webinar with 10 enterprise, um, 10 enterprise leads to get one of them to commit to a contract, you know? And so are we doing value capture? Are we doing value creation? Um, if you at least have that conversation, it helps frame up the discussions and make sure you're delivering the appropriate experience to the right people.
0: When you look at the next seven, eight, nine quarters ahead, uh, uh, in terms of growth, where are you going to land net new logos is my question here. Is it predominantly from partnerships? Word amount within your community? Have you got an outbound model? Um, Talk me through kind of the top two to three ways that you and Orbit are going to land net new logos over the next couple of quarters.
1: Yeah, so so where we are today, we've got, you know, three or 4,000, maybe 5,000 companies using us. Um, Our customers are managing a little more than 32 million community members across all their platforms. So um, starting to see some pretty interesting scale there. To to date, the vast majority of that adoption has been... um, you know, community-driven, content-driven, word of mouth, very organic. Um, that, that's, a, that's a flywheel that has worked pretty well for us. Um, we, we For, for context, um, we created this framework called the Orbit Model, uh, which is, we could probably do a whole podcast on it, but the, yeah. the Orbit Model, the, the short version is basically, uh, it, it's almost like, the think about how impactful the sales and marketing funnel has been as a metaphor for like measuring everything in business. Um, you know, if you go to any business meeting, like somebody's going to talk about the funnel, um, you know, what's, what's top of funnel look like? What's the bottom of the funnel look like? And interestingly, the the funnel as a metaphor is very useful for, um, optimizing a linear or binary problem. So product onboarding where every person goes to the same steps or an enterprise sale, where there's a binary outcome at the end, you can then measure and feedback. Um, what we realized um, and actually Josh, my co-friend and I, we spent about a year consulting in the community and DevRel space before starting the business. Um, we realized everyone was trying to measure community and they were trying to use the funnel to measure it. Um, but because the funnel is great for linear and binary problems, it wasn't great for community. Community is not linear, it's not binary. And so we said, we've got to have a metaphor that's actually built from first principles to measure what actually happens in community. So we, we published a blog post about the orbit model. It's pretty short, but it basically said, you should me- you should think about increasing the gravity of your community, and the components of that are a couple of things: reach and love, and things like that. And love is actually a measure we actually measure in the product, but it's a, a product of the recency, frequency, and quality of every every community member's participation. So if you know every single person's how recently, frequently they've engaged, and like how what was the quality of that engagement, you can build out a pretty cool network model of who's leaning in, who's fading away. So all that to say that 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 blog post turned into long form content on GitHub and turned into some Airtable templates. Uh, And for the past three years, the Orbit model as an idea has been very helpful in terms of raising awareness of what we're trying to do sort of as a brand and as a company. So we have a number of customers that come to us and say, yeah, we were thinking about changing our community strategy. We came across the Orbit model and we realized the Orbit model is not only a cool idea but there's actually software that helps us do that and scale that. And so the, the Orbit model as a framework has been useful not only in educating the, the sort of world on how to think about these ideas in a more organic and, and I think authentic way, but also in terms of driving awareness of, of the platform. So we will continue to invest in in content, events, community, um, because it's it's obviously consistent with our, our worldview. Um, we, we've also, we'll probably start testing outbound in the near future. We only have two account executives. We hired them both in the past quarter. So, you know, we, we've, we've added you know, 75 new logos, paying logos in the past three months, I want to say, um, on, on on the back of, of that. And so we're really starting to focus on commercialization for the first time. Um, we went live last year, like in, I think, I think May of last year, is sort of when we sort of first went to, to GA, general availability. So yeah, the coming year, it's a continued focus on that. Um, our bottom-up motion is working pretty well, I think. So we have, we have a free plan. We have self-serve pay, paid plans, and then we have sort of the enterprise tier. And so... For us, most of our users start with the free plan and they, they come and they, they, they set up Orbit, they plug in two or three data sources, start to get some value. And then they hang out there for months or a year, depending. And then as they start to grow the team, as the community starts to grow, that puts them on the path to like swiping a credit card for one of our self-serve plans. And then as they grow even larger and they want enterprise features like you know SSO and audit logs and things like that, and also access to our sales, or, or excuse me, our success team, our solutions engineering team, things like that they they transition to the enterprise plan. So I anticipate, yeah, continuing to lean into that kind of like bottom up, bottom up version, um, investing in our own community, investing in content to create a lot of value um, and making sure everyone knows that Orbit's here. Um, that, that, I think that's, that probably summarizes the the majority of our go to market for the coming several quarters. That's of course coupled with, with sort of like smaller events, you know, meetups, things like that. Those always work pretty well, pretty well for us.
0: Is your business model a monthly subscription?
1: It's a combination of, of monthly subscription uh, as well as annual agreements. So the larger the larger customers, the enterprise folks are all on all on annual plans. But yeah, the, the self-serve folks are all month to month.
0: I'm going to leave a link to the Orbit model below because I read it and, and really enjoyed it myself. You create a lot of content and value for... Both your current clients and clients that I'm assuming you're you're hoping to attract, whether to get them into free model and they can see the value to then upgrade to the to the uh, next level. Uh, one of the other things that I noticed because I was going through your Twitter was you uh, launched a newsletter, but a paper edition. Gravity. Do you want to give a quick shout out to what it is? Because I'm going to leave a link to it below if anybody wants to subscribe to it. And um, so yeah, the mic, the mic is yours. And then after that I have one final question to wrap up.
1: Yeah, so so we've thought about ways to create value for for our our audience, our community. Um, we realized that so much so much content today is you know it, it exists in the form of blog posts, tweets, things like that. Um, and and we, we thought it'd be an interesting interesting test to sort of experiment with the real world. And what would it look like to do a, a quarterly publication, a quarterly journal, if you will? Of community building ideas, and so so that was kind of the, the genesis of Gravity Magazine. It was inspired by um, Stripe had a had a print publication called Increment for for many years, and it was certainly inspired by that. But yeah, the the, the pitch is that we would you know put together interesting stories from from contributors inside and outside of orbit. Uh, each each edition would be custom illustrated, so you know sort of uh, a new a, a new contribution to the world, if you will, and so. Yeah, it's the second issue is coming out uh, within the next couple of weeks. So uh, first issue is on analytics. Second issue is going to be on community growth as a concept. So uh, it's been a lot of fun to, to put that together. A lot of work, but a lot of fun too.
0: No doubt. Final question for you, Patrick. If you were put in charge of adding a mandatory subject to the high school curriculum, what would the subject be and why?
1: I think it would probably be something along the lines of, you know, personal, personal finance. I think what we've seen lately with, you know, the sort of asset bubble coming into the end of last year, the correction of this year, um, lots of folks experience, experiencing a lot of pain with regard to like crypto drawdowns. You know, there's, there's been a lot of conversation around like what's happened here from a, from a macroeconomic standpoint. And I, I realize that at least the U S there's, there's not a lot of, Education around the the basics of um, personal finance, as it relates to investing and diversification, and the difference between a you know a, a, a index fund versus direct investing, and I think that I think society would benefit a lot with with more shared context around how systems work uh, and what that means for a person's you know personal financial situation. So um, I think I think I think that or and or <laughs> this is an interesting question. I have lots of things I think. Um, critical like a course on critical thinking would probably be part of this part of the curriculum for me um i'm a i'm a liberal art liberal arts person for sure uh, my, my wife is a um uh, she has a phd in um, molecular developmental biology so she's like very logical uh, very black and white she she can reason her way through very complex problems and um i think i think as a society we don't spend a lot of time on the tools for thinking and being able to apply the appropriate mental models and be aware of logical fallacies and um yeah it, it, if you if you watch the news it just seems like that's increasingly true <laughs> so so maybe i think if, if, if everyone had a had sort of a shared context or at least a shared foundation on ways to think critically maybe we would be better off so that would be my yeah. contribution
0: great great contribution patrick woods the co-founder and ceo of orbit it's been a pleasure having you on the show i'll leave links to everything we mentioned below for today, I wish you continued success. morning, my morning